as I talked about last week, uh, in a couple weeks here, Pastor George is going to be doing a series on the art of neighboring. And so I thought that I would do a mini-series, two weeks, on the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, so last week was about loving God and looking at God's nature. What makes him lovable? And so this week is uh, about loving our neighbor, which, as Lisa put so well, is not easy when our neighbor is difficult to love. Uh, or many other circumstances that can happen. Uh, so in uh, the year of 2014, a nanotech company in the UK called Surrey Nanosystems invented what they called the world's blackest black. They created a color that was so dark that, that absorbed so much light that it's almost impossible to perceive uh, any shadows out of it. It's almost impossible to reflect any light off of it. So this is a picture uh, that I'm going to show you. It is, a, it is two identical busts. And believe it or not, the one on the right is not cut out. It's not digitally altered. It's not photoshopped. It's just painted with this blackest black color. And it's, it's, it's really hard looking at it. To, to believe that because we're used to perceiving shadow, we're used to seeing some depth. And so even looking at it, you're, you're probably kind of thinking, no, that's, that has to have been edited somehow. But it's not. Um, it's one of those things where uh, our brains play tricks on us. Um, our brains take in a lot of information. And so what they do is they kind of edit that information down into a form that we can handle. Uh, so in this case, the form that our brains think we can handle is, well, it, it just looks like it was cut out. This looks, this looks wrong. This is, not, this is not a 3D object. Um, and our brains are very good at making those shortcuts. Um, so uh, a little over a week ago, you may have heard of an event in the news uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, there was a case in which uh, several students from a school called Covington Catholic were in Washington, D.C. for a March for Life. And there was an altercation, something happened with uh, Native American protesters as well as a group of uh, black Hebrew Israelite street preachers. And uh, if you heard about this in the news, you've heard that there's been, there was a lot of video released, there was a lot of pictures released, there were statements from both sides, there were all sorts of stories. Um, trying to sort out who, who started this, who's to blame, who really is the guilty party and who was, was kind of the innocent, who, who someone did something bad to. Um, and the interesting thing to me is that people took all that video and information and almost perfectly along what you would expect along party lines that's how we interpret the video that we see. We're looking at the same thing, but we interpret the, our, our brains are making shortcuts at all times and interpreting this information. Uh, one of my favorite Christian artists, he's a rapper and a poet, his name is Jason Petty. He wrote a piece about this Covington Catholic event. And he was talking about all the videos and how we interpret, how we each interpret it our own way. And he said, we don't believe what we see. We see what we believe. <laughs> we see 
what we believe, what we already expected to see in some ways. Uh, really um, stark example of this for me was uh, this past Monday for Martin Luther King Observance Day. Um, I saw so many wonderful quotes on social media and uh, they were just so sweet and they were all about love and nonviolence, acceptance, dream, and it makes you wonder who in the world would assassinate this guy? All he did was talk about nice, how we should be nice to each other, right? I didn't see any quotes about his numerous quotes about uh, income inequality or how he demanded a job guarantee. I didn't see any of his quotes from a letter from a Birmingham uh, jail in which he said that white moderates were as big of a problem to his movement as the racists. I didn't see any of his quotes from the I Have a Dream speech where he talks about police brutality. Anything that is even remotely emotionally charged for us today. We edit it out. It's conveniently gone from the Martin Luther King narrative and all we have left is this nice, tidy little man who only spoke about how we should be nice to each other. Because we don't want to confront these things. These things make us angry to talk about. They remind us of so much discomfort in the world. Now, agree with Martin Luther King or disagree with him on those issues. We pretend he didn't even say them. But when he was alive and saying these things, he made people look at them. He made them look. And the effect that it had was it made them angry. This is Martin Luther King's uh, approval rating in 2011, in the, already in the age of social media, where we have peace, love, and dream quotes. 94%. Uh, his approval rating in 1966 was 33% unfavorable 63%. This is an extremely contentious, controversial man that we've edited down. This is a guy who looks like he's in danger of assassination. So in today's passage, uh, we'll notice that Jesus started talking about, in the synagogue, he started talking about God's power to save. And the people are loving it. As Lisa said, they're kind of baffled that he's claiming to be the fulfillment of all of this. But it says all spoke well of him. They loved it. Our God saves. Our God's the best. He's awesome. Good job. Good sermon. 94% approval rating. This is great. But then he grabbed their faces and made them look. He reminded them who God showed mercy to. He reminded them who God saved. And that mercy wasn't reserved for the people of Israel. That mercy wasn't only for the people who were on the inside. That mercy was also for those people. In the blink of an eye, the crowd went from loving Jesus and hanging on his every word to literally trying to kill him. That's a guy who looks like he might get himself assassinated. So here's my question for us today. Who are our, those people? The ones we overlook, the ones we fear, the ones we've decided are threats to America or to the church or to the way of life? 
the ones who our response to their struggle is to say they should have just worked hard like I did. The ones in our corner, in the corner of our vision that we choose not to see, that we edit out when the information comes in. The ones who bring out our inner Jonah, where we would rather run to the opposite side of the earth than imagine that God could show mercy to them. The ones we overlook, the ones who slave to make our iPhones, the ones who clean our homes, the ones who bus our tables. Who is my neighbor? Um, to be perfectly honest, I'm actually more scared to preach this sermon than anyone I've given <laughs> so far. Um, I've known you long enough and I know by your actions that you love me, I hope that you trust me. I love and trust you. Uh, but there's a part of me that says, you know what happens when you make people look at something they don't want to see. <laughs> and it makes me scared. Um, but there is such a greater danger than you being mad at me. The Museum of the Bible in Washington, DC had a rare item on display last month. It was uh, a slave Bible from the 1800s from the UK. Um, and before slavery was all the way phased out, what some Christian slave owners did was they had a pang of conscience and they said, well, let me, uh, well, let's evangelize to our slaves and get them baptized so their souls are good. And then they would, um, if the slaves could read, they would present them with a Bible. Uh, this is a Bible that was on display in that museum. Uh, but what the slave owners did was they removed all of the sections of the Bible that might give the slaves ideas and might incite them to rebellion or that might talk about setting the oppressed free, whatever that means. They didn't want these slaves to get ideas. So I edited this Bible down before they handed it over. Um, and uh, so ultimately this, this final product uh, I read that uh, the slave Bible omits 90% of the Old Testament and 50% of the New Testament. Those are all the troublemaking parts of the Bible. <laughs> if we edit Jesus down or edit the Bible down unintentionally, eventually we're going to do it intentionally. That's the greatest danger here. And I know I'm talking about uh, the poor and the powerless and the oppressed. And let me tell you, if, if anyone tries to tell you that this is a social gospel or social Marxism or anything like that, just remember how much of the Bible the slave owners had to remove for the slaves to not get ideas. Caring for the people that we want to overlook, caring for the people that we want to hate, is at the core of who Jesus is. And this still being the gospel, there is still good news here. The fact that even when the crowd tried to stop Jesus, that God used their own selective blindness to allow him to pass through. So let me tell you, if you, like me, have spent too much of your life overlooking the needy, overlooking your enemies, that you haven't stopped God's plan one bit 
He's not going to topple off his throne on our watch. His plans will carry through. So don't, don't worry about getting in his way, but consider, consider working with him. Now let's also look at what Jesus does. In the first half of this passage, Jesus is an insider. He's a good old boy in his hometown. And the, again, the people are a little bit baffled, but they're all speaking well of him. They're like, this is great. How did Joseph's son grow up to talk like this? He's amazing. He was an insider in every way. And he didn't stop until he was an outsider. He didn't stop until he stood with the people who were hated. And aren't we so glad? Because we were lost and now we're found. Aren't we so glad that he did that? That's how we were saved. Hebrews chapter 13 says, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. He was in the holy city and they literally dragged him out to kill him. Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. He's telling us to love our enemies, to love those we overlook, because God loves them. But he's also inviting us out across that border to join him in love, just as he did when we were those people, when we were on the outside looking in. And he invited us in to his family. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the mercy you've shown. The mercy you showed to me when I didn't deserve it. And the mercy you continue to show. Help me to step aside from being the gatekeeper of who deserves your mercy and who doesn't. Help us to step aside from being gatekeepers and help us to go out of the gate, follow you outside, to love those who are lost, to love those who are overlooked, to love those that we would rather just edit out. Father, I pray for those who are hurting. I pray for those who are blind. I pray for those preparing for surgery. I pray for all those who you seek to heal, seek to love. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, we pray together that prayer he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.